Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Wrapping up uh, what seems to be a marathon series, but really there were a couple weeks that uh, we didn't get to deal with this because of uh, first Wednesday and then uh, there was a time where I was out of town. Uh, but it really, this is the fifth week of, of this series, but we're wrapping it up tonight. And just before I get into what I want to talk about tonight, I, I do want to bring us up to speed with the ground that we've covered. Don't worry, I'm not going to try to reteach all four of those lessons. Um, this, this, uh, I will be mindful of the time, but uh, if you need to go back and catch one, they're archived on YouTube and on our, our Facebook page. But in week number one, of this series, I, I focused on James 1.19, a passage from the book of James, and it says there that we should be slow to speak, that we should be quick to listen and slow to get angry. And really the reasons a lot of times that we get angry is because we're offended. Uh, we get angry because we feel like we've been done wrong. We get angry because we, we, we feel hurt. But the Bible says be slow about that. And be slow to speak, quick to listen. And a lot of times we get those right the opposite, don't we? And we're quick to speak and we're slow to listen. And sometimes if we just get a little more information, then that can enhance our understanding and uh, even help us on the anger part. Because, hey, now we've taken time to listen and to grasp and to understand. And in, in that uh, opening session, I also shared a couple practical ways that we can live above offense, and that's number one, is to lower your expectations of others. You need to lower your expectations of others. And uh, we know where we are, and we know, we, we know what our intentions are, and many times we judge ourselves based on our intentions, but we judge others based on their actions. And so we need, to, we need to lower our expectations of others. And if we do that, then we will be less apt to be offended. Another thing that you need to do is to elevate your gratitude for God's grace. I think I'm looking at a bunch of products of the grace of God tonight. My hand will be the first one to go in the air. I'm here by the grace of God, not because of my goodness. So when I elevate the grace of God, I have an understanding that, hey, I'm not all that. I have deficiencies. I have needs. And uh, I, I have problems. It's like the saying that I repeat from, from, from Tim Norris from back in Atlanta. You know, people are funny, and I'm one of them. I'm a people too. We all have idiosyncrasies and issues, and so we need to lower our expectations of others, and we need to elevate uh, God, our gratitude for God's grace. In week number two, I talked about how, how offense is a choice. You don't have to be offended, especially as a child of God. You don't have to be offended. You don't have to live offended. And as Christians, we should choose to not be offended. That, that book, Unoffendable, that I recommended uh, there in, in week number one, it really talks, uh, talks about this, that really it's a matter of the mind. It's a matter of decision. It's a matter of choosing that, hey, you know what? This person did this to me, but I'm not going to get offended by it. 
I walked right past them, and they didn't even smile. They didn't even they didn't shake my hand. They didn't even say hello. But I'm I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, and I'm not going to get offended. So as Christians, we should forfeit our right to be offended. But the problem is, many times we want to hold on to our rights because that's power. Right? That's our leverage is when we hold on to the right to be upset at someone and to make sure they know we're upset at them. Right? But as Christians, we should choose not to be. We should forfeit our right because, listen, the tool of offense is so effective that the enemy will use it. And we talked about how he will use it in that second week. He will use it to distract. He'll use it to divide. And he will use it to discredit our witness. If we are offended at each other, if we're upset at each other, he will use it to undermine the effectiveness of the church. And that's why the word of God instructs us, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Deal with things in the moment. Deal with things as they happen. Don't let them fester. Don't, don't, don't let it, don't, don't push it off and thinking it's, the time's just going to take care of it. No, address it. Deal with it. Don't let the sun go down. Then in week three, I focused on being offended at the sins of others. And I dealt with the issue of spiritual pride. And we studied the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. In that particular message, and thankfully, in in that account, Jesus showed us how to love sinners by his example, because even though he was sinless, the sinful were still drawn to him. You know what? We might sin less than others, but we're still not sinless. So who are we to look down our nose at at sinners? Who, Who are we to be surprised when sinners act like sinners? Sinners gonna sin. So we don't need to be offended at that. We need to take care of ourselves. Don't worry about the speck in somebody else's eye. We need to worry about the moat sometimes that can be in our own eye. So Jesus showed us this. And in that, in that message, I talked about the fact that truth matters. And we're going to elevate truth. We're going to cling to truth. But not only does truth matter, but humility matters as well. It's the way that you present the truth that, that matters. It's, it's the way that you present what is right that matters. Then finally, last week, we examined the damage that bitterness can cause in our lives. Bitterness is really the outgrowth of offense. It is the fruit that is born by offense. And I talked about how bitterness is a hidden destroyer. We talked about those live oak trees. You might remember remember us talking about that. But if you want to kill the root of bitterness in your life, I, I shared three points last week. You need to expose it. You need to cancel the debt of that person, and then you need to speak blessings over your offender. This is biblical, church. If you want to overcome offense, you you got to expose it, you got to cancel that person's debt, and pray or speak blessings over your offender. Paul said in Ephesians, put bitterness away from you, and then he said this, then be kind, and be tenderhearted, and forgive one another. Those are all antidotes to bitterness. Those are all the keys to overcoming bitterness. You got you to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. So that's our recap. We're going to get into uh, what we have here for tonight. Uh, Luke 17 and 1, this is where I want to begin tonight. These are the words of Jesus, and here's what it says. Then he, he Jesus, said to the disciples, and, and here, what, what are these next three words here? He says, it is 
impossible. Somebody say impossible. It's what Jesus said. He said it is impossible that no offenses should come. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. But what if I get into the church? Then offenses won't come, right? No. Well, what, what if I get around people who have been filled with the Holy Ghost? Then, then offenses won't come, right? Well, what if I get around people, you know, who are striving to be in leadership? Then, then offenses won't come. He says, no, it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. We'll deal with that a little bit more later on. But I just want us to know and just kind of set the tone for tonight that based on what Jesus said in Luke 17 and 1, you cannot live in this world without being offended. This is why I've taken five weeks on this subject is because you are going to deal with this. You've either dealt with it in the past or dealing with it right now or you're going to deal with it in the future. Offenses will come. It's impossible for a not to. You can't be a part of a church without being. I'm not even talking about out there. I'm talking about in here. It's going to happen. Maybe even repeatedly. Nod your head if you don't feel like saying amen. It is impossible to not have things offend you. And because of that, one of the greatest hindrances to the work of God through the local church is offense. Offense is one of the greatest obstacles that we have to overcome. We're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to be on mission. We're trying to, to make a difference. We're try, trying to bring life to North Dallas, but offense gets in the way. When we're not right with one another, how can we go out and make a difference in somebody else's life? So the enemy knows if he can just keep us offended, if he can just keep us getting sideways with one another, if he can just keep us agitated, if he can just keep us angry, then guess what? He wins and we lose. Listen, the thing that trips you up, it may only be an inch high, but if you stumble over that thing, then it is effective in blocking God's work in your life. It doesn't have to be a big thing, but if it's causing you to stumble, if it's causing you to have aught against your brother or a sister, then it is stopping the fulfillment of what God has for you. I'm going to share something here. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a quote by a guy by the name of Bob Mumford. It's kind of long. It's going to take up two screens here. But I, rather than just summarizing it, I thought I wanted to read it. And you can follow along on the screen if you want to. Here's what Mumford said. He said, today, multitudes of Christians are not serving God. They're Christians, but they're not serving. Okay? They attend no local church or do so only occasionally. Christians, they will not make a commitment to any church. Christians, they come, but they don't serve. They receive spiritual food, but they don't give money. They call when they're in trouble, but they never serve others. These are the offended ones. Somewhere down the line, they have been scandalized. The trap was baited and they picked up the offense. The door slammed shut and they've been trapped ever since. They carry their offense everywhere they go. It's their excuse for not going on with God. 
They quickly tell you, we've been so hurt in church. They can tell you the details of how they were offended by a pastor, a sermon, a brother, a sister, or a church leader. How they didn't like the vision, the direction, some prophecy. But the bottom line is always the same. They are offended, and they have no part of serving kingdom purposes. Failing to realize that offenses must come, which is what Jesus said, they seek a place where there are no offenses. They long to find a place of rest where no word will upset them and where all the people are pleasant and polite, but we know that place doesn't exist. But Jesus himself says, it's impossible. That place doesn't exist. So church, since offenses are deadly, and since it's impossible for offenses not to come, the issue is not whether or not we're going to be offended. The real issue is how are we going to respond when we are? How are we going to react when somebody does something that we don't like, when someone says something that we take a certain way? What are we going to do when someone hurts our feelings? How are we going to respond? Offenses are coming your way. Get ready for it. How are you going to respond? So based on that, the quality of our Christian life is based on how we handle two main kinds of offense. Number one is offense against God. You know how you need to handle offense against God? Repent. Because he's right. <laughs> It may take you a little while to figure it out. It's okay. God will give you some time to come around to that conclusion. <laughs> You're going to get offended at God, but the way to deal with it is say, okay, God, I cry, uncle. You win. You're right. Your ways are higher. Your thoughts are better. So we repent. And the other kind of offense is offense against others. And the way that you deal with offense against others is you forgive. We repent when it's an offense against God, but when it's a, an offense against others, then you forgive. You forgive. So this is what I want to deal with here for the balance tonight. I'm going to start off with dealing with offense against God. We'll start there. Here, here's what it says in Matthew 11 and 6. Jesus said, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Okay, same passage, Matthew 11 and 6, but in the ESV. Here's what it says there. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So what does Jesus mean by this? Well, most of us know a thing or two uh, about being offended by people, by, about being offended by others, but fewer of us think about the very real possibility about being offended at Jesus. As a matter of fact, many of you may be offended simply because I suggested that you could be offended at Jesus. Oh, no, not me. Not me, Pastor. I'll, I might have problems with people, but not Jesus. Je Jesus, Jesus is my homeboy, you know, and people may bother me. People may rub me the wrong way, but if, but if Jesus was here walking amongst us, we'd be besties. We just, everything that he wanted to do would be fine by me. But you know what? We might be like the apostle Peter and be in denial. 
Oh, there's no way I'll be offended at you, Jesus. But you know what? A mere, mere hours before Jesus went to the cross, this is what Jesus told his disciples in Mark 14 and 27. He said, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. Same verse. The King James Version says it like this. All of you will be offended because of me tonight. Here's Peter's response in verse 29. Although all, everybody else might get offended at you, Jesus. Not I. Not me. I, I'm your boy. I got your back. You, you and I, we're besties. I might get offended at other people, but not at you. To this response, Jesus said back to Peter, before the cock crows two times, you're going to deny me thrice. And that's exactly what Simon Peter did. And again, Jesus said, blessed is, is he who is not offended in me. Listen, church, if someone as great as Peter, he's always listed there amongst the apostles. He's, he's the guy who preached the church in, 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 into existence. He's the one who was given the keys to the kingdom. And listen, if someone as great as Peter could be offended by Jesus, then we ought to come to understand that it could happen to us as well. Peter can get sideways with God, so can we. Listen, during the course of, of his life, Jesus was an equal opportunity offender. He offended early and he offended often. He offended just about everyone. In Mark chapter 3, verse 21, where we read this, that Jesus offended his family. It says, but when he went to his own people, to his family, and when they heard about this, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Jesus is out of his mind. He offended them with his actions. In Mark chapter 6, verse number 2 and 3, we see that Jesus offended his neighbors, those in his hometown. It says, and when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which was given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Verse 3, is this not just the carpenter? Isn't this just Mary's boy? Isn't this just James and, and, and Joseph and Judas's and Simon's brother? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. He also offended Mary and Martha. We find that in John 11 and 21 where they say, Lord, if you'd have just been here, if your timing was just a little bit better, our brother died. It's too late now. I needed you then, not right now. If you would have just been here, you can hear the offense in their voice. You can hear the hurt in their voice. If you would have just come sooner, if you would have just come when I called on you. He offended the rich young ruler in Mark 10 and 22. It says, but he was sad. The rich young ruler was sad. The NLT says that his face fell. He didn't like what he heard from Jesus. He was disappointed. He was offended. And he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. There's another time where Jesus offended somebody. And once again, it's with, the, the, it's with, with Peter, Simon Peter. And he, he looked at Peter and he called him Satan. That's pretty offensive, isn't it? Anybody here, would, would you appreciate being called Satan? 
No, that's kind of offensive. He offended the multitudes in John chapter 6. He offended the Pharisees over and over and over again. Here's, here's another account in John 6, 61, as Jesus is preaching truth, the crowd's getting smaller, right? He'd gathered the multitudes, but, but the crowd begins to shrink. People begin to leave. And here's what it says there in verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples, what were they doing? They were complaining because the crowds were dwindling. They liked it when Jesus, you know, was in demand, they liked it when, when Jesus was gathering the thousands, but they weren't so happy and hyped about the hundreds. He knew that the disciples were complaining about this, and he said to the disciples, does this offend you? Are you offended about this? He continued to speak truth. He didn't back down. He didn't let that change what he was doing. He continued to tell people what they needed to hear, not what they wanted to hear. To the point that it says this in John 6 and 66, from that time, many of his disciples, you know what they did? They went back and they walked with him no more. You know what? We're not, he's not doing things the way we want him to do it. He's not telling me the things that I want to hear anymore. He, he's telling me stuff that I got to change. He's, he's telling me things that are wrong in my life. And, and because of that, they went back. They went home. They didn't. They didn't walk with him anymore. You see, church, some, some hang around for the loaves and the fishes. As long as Jesus is doing the miraculous, as long as the wonders are, as long as there's signs, as long as it's exciting, some hang around for the loaves and the fishes. They want the blessings and they want the benefits, but the truth offends them. And when the truth starts coming down, then they, they turn away and they turn, they turn back. It's defensive. But I want you to know tonight that there is a pattern here and there is a lesson for the church today about the ministry of Jesus. And that's the fact that Jesus' invitation is to everybody. He, he, he loves everybody. He makes himself accessible to all. He has a whosoever will approach. Whoever wants to follow me can follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple can be my disciple. That is his approach. But hear me tonight. Jesus never is going to pull punches, though. When it comes to the truth, when it comes to the word of God, he's never going to pull any punches about what it means to follow him and to be a disciple of his. And that can be offensive. That's why many times we want a God in our own making. We don't want to be made in the image of God. We want to make God in our image. God, uh, you know, I, I, I like what you say here in your word, but I don't care for that, so I'm just going to ignore it. I'm just going to take that and pretend it's not there because we want to make God in our image. Truth can be offensive. But listen, if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to make him Lord, if we want to be his disciple, then we're going to have to learn how to not be offended by him. Listen, there's times that you're going to be in church and convictions are going to begin to operate. You know what your response needs to be? Repent. I, I told you a little bit ago. When you get offended at God, you, you say, okay, you're right. I'm wrong. And so when you begin to feel conviction, you repent. 
When, when, you, when you're reading the word in your, in your personal devotion time and, and you read something that, that kind of crosses the grain, it kind of cuts, kind of cuts you a little bit, you, you know what the answer is? It's not to hurry up and flip the page. It's not to say, oh, la di da, I didn't, I didn't, you know, just, you know. Oh, let's go read, let's go read in Proverbs a little while. repent because he's right because his word's right and his rightness works in our good we're blessed because we can get off we can drift our equilibrium can get all messed up we can get disoriented but he's right so when we recognize that, when we feel that, when we sense that, when, when something begins to rub, when there begins to be a little bit of friction, we, you know what, our response is, okay, God, you're right and I'm wrong, so I'm going to repent. God, forgive me. Forgive me for thinking this way. Forgive me for doing that. Forgive me for living like this. Forgive me for treating them that way. Amen. Praise God. We've got to learn to not be offended by God. We're going to have to learn to not be offended by his word, even when we don't like it. Even when his word puts us at odds with our culture. And you know what? His word is really putting us at odds in the day that we're living in. The, 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 the way that we're supposed to live does not line up with what's happening in the world. My, my wife had a, a conversation with, with, with someone who's been working with the school system in Frisco last night, and they've been, they've been fighting against things that are coming into the school system. They're, they're fighting against the, 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 these agendas that are being, that are being pushed, and it's, 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 it's baffling to me, the things that are being justified. It, blow, it blows my mind how, how far we have, we have drifted, church. It blows my mind. But listen, we've got to understand, we, we are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And it's okay if the Word of God calls us to live different than our culture. I don't find anywhere in the history of God's people from the very time that he called them out as a nation that he called wants us to blend in and fit in with everybody else. We need to hold to the word of God even when he calls us to live a life of holiness. Holiness isn't about earning your salvation. It's about living in obedience to the commands and the principles of the word of God. I'm not trying to please anybody else. All I want to do is please God. I want to bring glory to him and not shame to him. I want to be counted as his. I want to be known as a child of God. Praise God. But let me let you know something. Jesus anticipated that we're going to be offended at his word. He, he, he knew that, that truth can be difficult sometimes to accept, and so he warned us against it. And there in the closing chapters of the, the book of John, it's pretty amazing to see how much Jesus said to his disciples in those final days before he went to the cross. No, knowing he was getting ready to go away, knowing that they were all going to be offended at him, that they were all going to forsake him in a moment, knowing what would come against him right there a week before Calvary in chapters 13 through 19. You know what Jesus started doing? He started teaching them about, hey, you're safe in me. 
You're safe. If you'll just stick with me, I'm going to take care of you. You're safe with me. He reminded them about who they were. He reminded them of their identity. He promised them, hey, I'm going to go away. Some things are going to happen that are going to be frightful, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. And he told me, told them, even though I have been with you, it's going to get better because now I'm going to be in you through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's going to be all right. In those chapters, chapters 13 through 19, he told them that he was going to go away, but he was going away so that he could prepare a place that where he was, they might be also. And finally, he reminded them of his great love for them. He's affirming, he's affirming, he's reassuring, he's comforting, he's loving. Then right in the middle of those six chapters in John 16 and verse number one, Jesus said this, these things I have spoken unto you that you should not be offended. Remember what I've said and not be offended. Praise God. I want to shift here and talk about how we handle offense against others. Looking back at Luke 17, I want to I want to work through the first five verses there, and we're going to begin with verse number number one. And the first thing, first thing that I want you to notice here is who this teaching in, in Luke 17 was for. It says, "Then said he unto the disciples." So this is this is to followers of Jesus. So that's that's who it's for. Any disciples here tonight? Any followers of Jesus here tonight? This is for us. It was for them and it's for us. He said it's impossible but that offenses will come. It's inevitable. But based on what comes next, we must do everything possible to avoid needlessly offending people. You don't need to go around and say, hey, Jesus said it's impossible that offenses should come, so I'm going to help bring that prophecy into fulfillment. I work and operate in the prophetic I go around offending people because this is, this is what he went on to say about that. Woe unto him through whom offenses come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he be cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. So verse 3 says, take heed to yourself. In other words, he's saying, watch out. Be, be in touch with yourself. Be aware of your actions and your interactions with other people. Don't fall prey to this trick of, of the enemy. He's, te- he's telling us that. He said, take heed unto yourself. And then he tells us what to do. He gives us the key to overcoming offense. He says, if thy brother... Right here, if thy, thy brother, I want you to notice, that's, that's who's being addressed here. It's, it's a brother. If your brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. I'm going to tell you what that means in a minute. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespassed against you seven times in the same day, and seven times in the same day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostle said unto the Lord, you're going to have to help us with that. I know what I'm teaching about is not easy, but it's right. And it's the key to living in victory. 
and it's the key to overcoming. And they said, okay, Lord, you're going to have to increase our faith. Again, I want you to notice in this passage the term for the person who is doing the offended is a brother. It's a fellow believer. To bring it into our context, it's a member of the same church. And the reason for that is that nobody can hurt us like family can. Come on, it's the truth. No one can hurt you like a brother or a sister. And because of that, the most serious offenses, the ones that are the most difficult to deal with and overcome, they always come from family. It always comes from inside the walls, not outside the walls. It always comes from those that we love the most, those that we care about the most. Those are the ones who can hurt us the deepest. And it really hurts when a brother offends. But you know what Jesus said? Deal with it. Deal with it. Don't fester. Don't, don't, don't let it grow into a root of bitterness. He said, do something about it. Jesus is like, you, you got you to deal with this. You got you to overcome it. Is it an offense? Yes. We acknowledge that. Offenses happen. Is it an offense? Absolutely. But listen, that is not an excuse to not do anything about it and just get bitter. Jesus says, deal with it. You need to do something. He says, you need to go to that person in the, in the word rebuke. He says, rebuke them. Now, I know a lot of times when we hear that word rebuke, we think that's, man, that's, that's line them out. That's blister them, tell them how wrong they are, you know, fuss them out. We're just gonna, we're just gonna give them a good old rebuke. But really, really, I didn't say cuss them out. Because I know nobody in here would do that. I said fuss. But when you look at the meaning of that word rebuke, it's, it's, it's an explanation. Let them know that they've offended you. Tell them. Confront them. That, it does mean that, to confront the person and, and, and to communicate and let them know. And when you do that, when you do something about it, you make reconciliation possible. You may be thinking, oh, man, I've done that. That's great. But have you done it the way Jesus said Jesus said if they do it seven times in the same day. Am, am I still in the word? Did, did we read that just a moment ago? Oh, but I'm doing this. I'm doing, no, no. Have you, have you done it seven times in the same day? Go to them. Make, you, 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 when you go to them, when you talk to them, let them know. You provide an opportunity for that person to acknowledge what they did. And to repent, you give them a chance to apologize and to make it right. But listen, many times we don't do that because we'd rather hang on to our grudge. Here comes the kicker in verse 4. Verse 4 right here. Jesus told them, even if a person offends you seven times in a single day, you need to forgive them seven times. That's the word of God. And if we're going to be people of the word, then, then we got to be people of the word, not just when it suits us. But maybe you remember the dialogue that happened in Matthew, uh, Matthew 18, and this was, this was between Peter and Jesus. And, and Peter asked Jesus, he said, hey, how many times should I forgive someone? And maybe, maybe Peter, remembering what was said here, you know, he said, am, am I supposed to do it seven times? Seven times, would that be sufficient? But listen, Jesus picked up on Peter's legalistic spirit. 
And in essence, he said to Peter, you know what? You're totally missing the point. If you're trying to whittle it down, if you're trying to combine it to, okay, I just, I just forgave him seven times. That's my limit. I don't have to do anything else. Jesus called out his legalistic spirit, and he's saying, Peter, the point is not to find a way to hold on to your hurt. The point isn't to find a way to limit your forgiveness. The point is that you forgive and that you keep on forgiving. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. That's what it says in Matthew 18. 490 times. Once again, the legalist will say, well, what about on point 491? You're missing the point. The instruction of Jesus is forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive again and keep on forgiving and do it another time. And keep on over and over and over. That's the way of the Lord. That's the way of the word of God. Listen, one of the greatest things that I, I, I can teach you as your pastor is that if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you're going to have to make up in your mind to live in never-ending forgiveness. Come on, if we can just get this church, if we'll just become a forgiving people, if we'll just become a gracious people, if we'll just become an understanding people. Hallelujah. You need to just live in forgiveness. Live in forgiveness. When someone smites you, instead of smiting them back or getting even, you turn the other cheek. That's what Jesus said. Instead of going with them a mile, you go with them two miles. Instead of forgiving a person or an individual once or twice, Jesus said, do it again and again and again. Do it over and over and over again. No doubt, I, I, this, this type of teaching, this expectation of discipleship, you know, makes our heads spin. But it, but it made the disciples' heads spin as well. Because, because of that, we see what the disciples' response was in verse 5. You're going to have to help us. It's hard to forgive when you feel like somebody hurts you knowingly. It's hard to forgive when you feel like somebody does something intentionally to you. But the Word of God doesn't give any caveats. The, the Word of God doesn't give any exception clauses. He says, love your enemies. The Word of God just says, forgive. Forgive. Keep on forgiving. So the disciples, when they heard this from Jesus, they said, you gotta, you got to help us. We need you to increase our faith. Lord, if we're going to be able to do this, if we're going to be able to live this out, if we're, if we're going to be able to do what you're telling us to do, you're going to have to increase our faith. Listen, church, this is the only time in Scripture that Jesus, Jesus' disciples ever asked him to increase their faith. They didn't ask him to increase their faith when he told them to go out and to heal the sick and to cast out devils. They didn't say, oh, you got to increase our faith to do that. They, they didn't do it when he said, you know what, here's, here, we're going to feed, we're going to feed the, the multitude here with a basket lunch. They didn't say, oh God, we don't see, we don't see how this is going to happen. You're going to have to increase our faith. No, they didn't say it there. Peter didn't ask Jesus to increase his faith when he invited him to walk on the water. No, the only time the disciples asked Jesus, to increase their faith was here when Jesus told them what they needed to do in order to overcome offense when it came to forgiving again and again and again.
Musicians, go ahead and come. Maybe, maybe that's a prayer that you need to pray tonight. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is it right here. Maybe this is the prayer that you need to pray tonight. God, I hear, I hear what my pastor's saying. I hear what your word is saying, but this is hard for, my, this is hard for me. This, this is difficult for me to comprehend. And, and I want to be obedient. And I, want, I want to live according to your word. And I want to be a disciple of yours. And, and I want to be a follower, but I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to ask you to increase my faith. If you're holding on to an offense tonight, you need to, you, you've not gotten to a place that you can deal with it, that you can address it, then maybe this needs to be your prayer. God, increase my faith. If you haven't forgiven, if you haven't released that individual, if you're nursing a grudge, maybe you need to pray, God, increase my faith. This just doesn't make any sense to me, God, but your word says this, and it's your way, so I'm going to obey. This is hard. This is difficult, but it's necessary. If I'm going to be forgiven by you, then I've got to forgive others, God, so I need you to increase my faith. C.S. Lewis said this. Everybody says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. And you know, you know one of the prime reasons that we won't forgive sometimes? It's pride. When you, when you really drill down, when you really trace it down, it's pride. We want to be right. We want it to be our way. We want them to come groveling. We, we want them to suffer. We want them to be damaged. We want them to, to pay the price. It's pride. So let's not let pride get in the way tonight. Listen, I think every single one of us tonight say, when, when it comes to us, we want forgiveness to be vertical, Right? We need God to forgive us. We want God to forgive us. We want that vertical forgiveness. But here's the beautiful thing is when forgiveness becomes horizontal. You see the cross when it's vertical and when it's horizontal. The beauty of the cross is on display when we're receiving forgiveness from God vertically and then we're meeting it out. As we receive it, we give it. As we receive it, we give it. As we need and receive it, and as somebody else needs it, and we give it, and they receive it. It's vertical. It's horizontal. Max Lucado wrote this. Forgiveness is unlocking the door to set somebody else free and then realizing you were the one who was the prisoner. I believe God wants to set us free tonight. It's not God's will for us to live in offense. It's not God's will for us to be bound by bitterness. It's not the will of God. I said it's not the will of God. That's why I'm coming against this spirit right now. That, that's why I'm coming against the work of the adversary like I have been the past five weeks. It's because this is not the will of God for the church. This is not the will of God for his people. Listen, according to Matthew 24 and 10, right amongst the list of signs of the last days, right along with wars, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and right, right along with the spirit of Antichrist that's going to be at work, and right, right along with the prophecy of famines and pestilences and, and earthquakes in divers places and lawlessness and backsliding, right in the midst of all those, in verse number 10, this is what it says, and then many will be offended. They will betray one another. They will hate one another. 
That's what offense leads to. To despise somebody else. To hate someone else. And I want you to know tonight that offense cuts us off from God. It separates us from the pipeline. If we want that vertical, listen, offense will cut it off. Because if we don't forgive others, the Bible says God won't forgive us. Listen, I've never seen anything block blessings from heaven more than offense. So take heed to yourself. That's what we read just a moment ago. Do a, do a personal inventory. Because if there's something in your life, you've got an odd against a brother. You've got odd against a sister. You've got, you've got hard feelings, a grudge against somebody. You're blocking the blessings of God from flowing into your life. Listen, if there's ever been a time when people are offended, it's now. They're offended at God. That's why they're trying to, trying to erase God from our society. They're offended at him. People are offended by others. But listen, this is when the church should shine brightly to say, hey, we get it. We're not going to fall prey to that tool. We're not going to fall prey to that weapon of the enemy. Listen, we can't tolerate offense within the church. If we're supposed to heal our world, how can we let offense run wild and rampant in the church? This is our moment. This is our moment to shine light into the darkness. This is the time to show the world what the love of God looks like. So we can't live offended. It starts here. It starts in the, in the house of God. It begins with us first. We must be healed if we're going to be a source of healing in the world. We've got to overcome offense if we want to help others do the same. Would you stand with me right now? I'm closing. Here's, here's the words of Jesus in Mark 11, 24, 25. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, Believe that you will receive them and you will have them. There's an addendum here in verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, if you have a grudge, if you're holding on to an offense, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Horizontal, vertical. If you've got something against somebody, you got to let it go. You got to deal with it. You got to make it right. That way, God can forgive you. To close this series out, I, I, I'd love to invite everybody who's comfortable with just coming to the front. And let's just close this 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 service and the series out around the altar as a church family. If you're not physically able, I understand. If you're new or a guest, I, I, I understand. But everybody who can, who's able, I'd love for you to join. We're going we're to sing in just a minute. Just keep coming out of those main aisleways so there's, there's room in the front. We're, we're going to sing. We're going to have a time of personal prayer. We're going we're to have an opportunity to pray this word into our, our spirits. And really, church, let me just remind you, that's what an altar call is about. It's about saying, hey, I've heard the word, now I'm going to internalize it. I've heard the word, now I'm going to activate it. That, that's why we ought to be in the habit of coming to the altar every service. Every service. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do that and make it personal in just a minute. But before we do that, I want us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. 
We're going to put it on the screen. A lot of you probably have it memorized. But, but I want us to pray this together. You ready? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I want us to go back and pray that section again. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I want us to do it again. And forgive us our trespasses. There's the vertical. As we forgive those who trespass against us. One more time. Can you pray that? And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever somebody shout amen can you lift your hands right now and ask God to work in your heart come on can you begin to pray for the Lord to help you in this area thanks for joining us today we hope that you were inspired by today's sermon Connect with the Life Church through our website, TLCDallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.